So uh, last week, the title of the message was Church Discipline, which I know you guys loved. And the next best thing is suing another brother or sister. So lawsuits between believers is uh, today's Bible study title. Probably not the best one, um, but maybe it's one of those clickbait things, right? The little thumb thumbnails. People are like, ooh, Christians suing each other, bam. And then they just get a Bible study. That's all they're going to get. So it's not going to be uh, rumors and, and things, who's suing who and all that stuff, because I don't really know who's suing who. But I want to start off by saying that this should not be, and in, in, in nowadays I have to preface this by saying the real church, not the fake church, there are tons of churches that say that they are about the Word of God, and they are not. They might th throw up a nice website, and you might read the stuff and go, oh, that's, that's got to be a solid church. But then you listen to the sermons, you're like, ooh, really kind of weak in terms of the scriptures. And they don't ever talk about this stuff, and they never talk about sin, and they never talk about all the things that we cover regularly because they're regularly in the text. What I mean is the real church, the true church, lawsuits between believers shouldn't be a thing. Now, granted, I don't know of any in this church. I don't know of any of you guys suing each other. Um, it is a small fellowship, so we always hope that that's not happening. But Paul was dealing with a church that was divided on lots of levels. They were under weak leadership, and they had a lot of bad things going on in the lives of the believers in this church. And Paul started this church. He spent 18 months with this church, and he's writing this letter because of how messed up the church is. So I first off want to preface and say that I shouldn't have to say this, but in the day that we live in, we need to clarify how things should go. Not how things are going, how they should go in a true Bible-preaching church. I don't care what denomination. Denomination is less important to me. If a church is all about putting themselves under the authority of God's word and preaching Christ, then they're brothers and sisters of ours. Does not matter what they call themselves. But the church needs to be a place of order. We have to hear this. There is very little order in this world. There's very little order in this country right now. The church has to be a place of order. People need to be heard in the church. They need to have a voice. They need to be able to bring something to leadership and be like, hey, you said this the other day, and, and did I hear this wrong? Not, um, we don't, I don't talk to you people. Not that. Just, like, come up. Call me. Talk to me. Talk to Jim. Talk to whoever's in leadership. You have a voice. You can talk directly to us. You can get to us. Sometimes it will become a much, a much bigger mess when, when the little things aren't dealt with regularly. Not every time. Because sometimes people will work their stuff out through the Holy Spirit, but sometimes they won't. And if a lot of little things build up, people get super frustrated. They're like, nobody cares. Like, I come to this church, I come to this community because there's a brotherhood, a sisterhood. And so we want to hear one another, but we also have to let the other person speak. And so in verse 1, Paul just goes right after him yet again. He just, just hammers him right off the bat. Um, I want to read the entire text in the New Living Translation, because I feel like the New Living in this specific eight verses really is, is more how you and I would say it today, and then we'll, we'll dig through the, the New King James in a second. He says, when you have something against another Christian, why do you file a lawsuit 
and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it up to other Christians to decide who is right. Do you know that someday we Christians are going to judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide these little things amongst yourselves? Don't you realize that we Christians will judge angels? Do you, so you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disagreements here on earth. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why do you go outside judges who are not respected by the church? I am saying this to shame you. <laughs> just, I'm, I'm shaming you guys, just so you know. Like it's, this, one, this one isn't veiled at all. Isn't there anyone in the church who is wise enough to decide these arguments? But instead, one Christian sues another right in front of unbelievers. To have such lawsuits is all a real defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? But instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your own Christian brothers and sisters. I just love how the, the New Living puts that. But verse 1, he says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? So in other words, seeking outside justice. He's saying keep the issues in the house of the Lord. If you, if you are a brother or a sister and you guys, let's just say you do business, and whatever happens uh, in that transaction, both, both sides have an issue with the person. You need to talk to the, to the other person. You need to be able to talk to that person. If you can't, then you need to take it to somebody else, elder, pastor, whoever, however the church government is structured. But he's saying... This is if it's a legitimate issue, if it's a legitimate beef, like, hey, you said you were going to cut my grass and I gave you $30 and then you never came over. Can you at least do it? Or can you give me my 30 bucks back? It's pretty simple. A lot of these things are super simple um, when it deals with uh, contract type of stuff, which some commentators think that a lot of that was this, that it was contract type stuff. But seeking a worldly or unsaved judge, that's what he says when he says the law and, un, and the, um, the law and the unrighteous. You're, you're dealing with a judge who does not have any respect for God or God's word, and as if that's not enough, you're taking Christian issues outside into the public. Now, David Guzik says that these judges, these local magistrates, if you will, sort of like a little city judge, they were out in the open market in Corinth, in this specific city. And Corinth was like a Vegas. It was, it was wild. People were, like, they were just out there. And so there was a lot going on, crazy, whack culture. And so he's saying in a Jewish city, the judge would be by the temple or by the gates. But in a Greek city or in Corinth, they would be around the open marketplace. And so here's a guy dragging a guy up before everybody can hear it. It's like Judge Judy, basically. The whole world can see it. And trust me, Judge Judy isn't worth $450 million because no one's filing lawsuits. If you want to watch a roommate dispute on steroids, watch Judge Judy. You owe me $400, seriously? About $400? Like, that's what it was in the 90s when I would watch Judge Judy. 30 years going, still rocking. $450 million net worth from a TV show about people settling small disputes on television and not just going to one another because, I mean, roommate, you lived with the person, so you clearly know them. You know how to get a hold of them. He's saying, don't drag church issues into that forum. I mean, 
Could you imagine if Judge Judy was like, well, next year it's all Christian disputes, all small church disputes or medium church disputes, and that's what we're going to focus on. And then everybody watches all of it play out, and people are being horrible to one another. He's like, guys, this is what you guys are doing, and you're a church. I started the church. He goes, verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Now, there's a lot in this. And I would like to um, read a quote from David Lowry on this because um, some of these commentators, it's been a few of the commentaries that I read, uh, the book says a certain person's name, but that person put the book together and compiled a bunch of scholars that, like this one guy's life was First and Second Corinthians. That was his life. Um, that, I mean, that's what he knows more than anybody else. And so there's different guys in this commentary. Uh, but David Lowry says, with the introductory phrase, do you not know, Paul pointed toward certain truths which should have prevented the problem in the first place. The phrase reoccurs six times in this chapter alone. This is not a long chapter. Do you not know six times? Sort of like, uh, I say this to your shame. Uh, he's, he's trying to, you know, guys, this isn't something you shouldn't know. This is definitely something you should know. But he says it's six times in this chapter outside of 1 Corinthians. It only appears three other times in the entire New Testament, this specific phrase. So it's a, it, it, there's a little bit of a, sh like a shame deal when you, when you hear somebody go, do you not know? Jesus said things like that. Have you not heard? He's usually talking to religious zealots when he said that. People that for sure knew the actual letter, but ignored the spirit of the law. And that's what they're getting at. Like these guys, Paul taught this. There's no way he didn't because he says this so many times in this chapter. So he had used it before in chapter 3 and chapter 5 and would use it again in chapter 9 to the same effect. The implication that they should have known these things, it must have been painfully uh, obvious to a church enamored with its own wisdom and knowledge. And once again, these are people who were theologians, right? They talked about Apollos, talked about Peter. Oh, well, we're into this theologian and we're into this, theo this theology. This was not a novice church. Anytime Paul spent 18 months with somebody, there was stacked teachings, whether they were written down for everybody to be able to have their own copy or they were at the place where they met. Paul, there's no way they didn't have somebody writing these things down that Paul would have taught these people, um, especially in this day. So he says this, um, that we will judge the angels. That's an interesting, uh, we're going to judge the world. In the next verse, he says, uh, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? This is a, an interesting concept to throw into lawsuits. Hey, don't you know we're going to judge angels? Okay, Paul, we might want to ex expound on that a little bit. Well, you know and I know because we have the rest of the text. We have the rest of the New Testament in our hands and on our phones, and we can simply Google rule and reign with Christ, and you'll find five or six different places where Jesus alludes to that you will be with me, you will, you will judge. In, in Luke, you will judge with uh, the 12 tribes in Revelation, in John. There's many places where, where we, those that endure and are saved will rule and reign with Christ. Judging angels, why would we judge angels? Because we're dealing with fallen angels. We're dealing with the demonic realm. The scripture says that hell was designed for who? 
not people. First and foremost, it was designed for Satan and his minions, Satan and his demons. So these fallen angels, we will be part of the sort of the congregation that's throwing this eternal judgment on these demonic realm that have wreaked havoc for how many years on people and just tried to kill as many people as they possibly could. That's the whole point of demons is to get you as a human being to, to end your life not knowing Christ so that there's one less, David Guzik says this, so there's one less judging Satan because he's that proud. He doesn't want anybody else looking at him. Obviously, that's, that's speculation and conjecture, but I could imagine that that'd be true uh, with the amount of pride Satan had to do what he did and to try and influence others and to try and hurt so many others. So judging angels, um, the, the assumption, uh, like I said, is that this is the bat. Um, in verse 4, where he starts to kind of pivot into this idea, um, if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? Who would be the last person you'd want judging in a church matter? How about uh, an, the average judge that's appointed in our day and age right now? I mean, they, they, not only will they come at it with it from a different worldview, but they were, they're going to come at it um, not liking Christians very much. Let's, that's the nicest way to put it. And so why would you involve somebody who has a completely different outlook on who God is, if they even believe in God at all, with a issue between two believers who are centered in Christ and at, the, and at that moment are not focusing on Christ. So as followers, there are many judges, in our country specifically is what I'm talking about, that have been recently appointed by largely godless leadership in our country. Our country's government in Washington is not looking at the scripture and going, this is what we should start doing. I think it's obvious to everybody that that's what's going on. Are there a few outliers? Possibly. But right now, as it stands, as judges are being appointed currently, these are people who you would not want dealing in a church issue. And he's saying, why in the world would you guys involve these least esteemed by the church to be your authority? You already have an authority. You have Christ, the authority, and if God's put you in a church, look, you're free to come and you go and go as you please. But understand that if you come to the leadership of this church, that we are going to hear you out. We're not going to be just be like, eh, forget it. Just, just get out of here. I don't have time for this. That's not what we're here for. But at the same time, when you have a congregation that is strong in their faith, you have very little of this. You have very little what I would call lawsuits between believers in their day, dragging somebody, that's what we would call it today, but dragging a dispute in front of a magistrate. So as, as judges continue to be appointed that don't respect God, you're going to get less and less justice. So why then would you go out? You think you're going to get justice? If you choose to have your complaint heard in a modern-day court, and it's not Judge Judy or the other 50 judge shows on TV, if it's, if it's, you know, those are manipulated, obviously, on some level, what do you expect? Why would you do this? Why would you drag everybody out into the public? So he goes in verse 5, I say this to your shame. Shame on you guys. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one? who will be able to judge between his brethren. So is there nobody in the church that can hear this? Is there not one person in this church in Corinth that loves Jesus enough to sit down with you and go, 
hey, let's get on the same page. First off, do we believe God's word? Yes. Do we believe that God's the final authority? Yes. Okay, so let's look at the dispute and let's see where it falls short. Is your yes, yes? Is your no, no? Well, no, he said yes and then he said no. Okay, so give him his 30 bucks back. Can we be done? All right, let's pray. That's how easy it should be. Now, there's no lawns in Midtown, so it's not going to happen. Sure, grass has been outlawed. So that's one less issue we have. But spreading rocks, let's just say. Would you spread my rocks for 30 bucks? Um, but is there not a wise person in this church? Shame on you because you guys can't find one. This is so demoralizing for this church, but do they even hear them? Because there's so many times where Paul starts off, you guys are puffed up with pride. You're puffed up. You have huge egos. Nobody can be confronted. Nobody's able to be talked to. And so brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. You drag somebody out from the church into the public and you drag dirty laundry and we know what else gets thrown in when people start talking in front of other people. Maybe things are dramatized. Maybe things are a little more emphasized than they should have been. Maybe he didn't exactly say that. She didn't exactly say that. But now we've got a huge mess. And now what does the world say? They go, they got more problems than we do. Why would we go to that church? I don't think there was that many churches in Corinth. I can't, I can't be sure of it, but I don't think it's like America where there's a church on every block. So if this is the representation of Jesus Christ, shame on you guys. That's what Paul's saying to these guys. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you rather than accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Now, I want, this is where this, 1 Corinthians is going to challenge us a little bit. This is one of those interesting areas. So he's not saying you should set out to be cheated. You should love it. I like to win, okay? I've been accused of being the most competitive person in every pickup kickball game that has ever happened in Chicago that I've been a part of. And I want to win. When I play games, I want to win. Um, my daughter had a, had an event at a, at a church not too far on Father's Day night, and there was like three dads and me, maybe two dads and me, and a bunch of kids in the youth group. And it's, we're playing ultimate Frisbee at some park, and it's 110 out, like whatever, three weeks ago, whatever this was. And I'm literally like diving for, for Frisbees. I'm like, I'm hurting myself. Uh, that day, my back didn't hurt. I don't know why. But I'm diving for stuff. I hurt the next day and the next day. I'm like, why would I do this? Why would I get grass stains at my age, because I want to win. He's not saying that competition and competitiveness is wrong. Otherwise, we wouldn't have an Olympics, which is very entertaining, because these are the best people. He's saying, wouldn't you rather lose a little bit of money than have smearing of God's name all over this town? How about that? Is it that important? And I have to ask myself this. I have to ask myself about, would you rather lose something for God's glory than to be right. Yes, on paper, my heart sometimes fights against that because um, a lot of my golfing buddies go, why are you so competitive? Nobody's cheating you here. Nobody's trying to cheat you. Um, several pastors have said this to me. I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta be less competitive. Um, but that's just how it was. I felt, I felt like I got cheated a lot. Uh, when I, I mean, I was always the, the kid that was like five feet shorter than everybody that played a sport. So and you can understand that. That's not even possible. But just understand that's, that's what I looked like uh, uh, compared to when I would play games 
with people, picked last until people could figure out that I was fast and, and could get away from people. But how bad do you want to win? How bad do you want to win this lawsuit? How bad do you want to get this 10 bucks or this 100 bucks or this 1,000 bucks, whatever it is? Because we want justice. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, you relate with those things. God blesses those who thirst for justice, who want righteousness to abound. I want that for our culture. I want righteousness to go out. I want good judges. I want people to actually, if people are causing other people harm, I want them to pay for that. They often don't. In, in this town specifically, a lot of things go and they don't get dealt with. Now, they will be dealt with one day because God misses nothing. But in our day, our prosecutors, our police, they're overwhelmed with the craziness of, of people. And they can't, so they gotta, they got to pick the battles. they got to plea stuff down. Well, we don't like it when, when, when murderers get pled down to 15 years. We don't like that. We see it all the time. Well, we don't have really much evidence or jury was tampered with or somebody got to somebody or whatever. So we pled this down. Well, we don't like that. But that's just the way things are. Nobody, Jesus never said, um, this life will be fair for you. We think somewhere in there between the Hallmark cards and the, mis, <laughs> the, the scripture that's thrown out there that's, that's uh, taken out of context, we think somewhere in there God wants fairness for us. God wants to know you. God wants you to accept his son for your wrong. But there is no such thing as fair on this side of heaven. If you happen to live a life where most things were fair to you, you are the exception, not the rule. And in this case, he's telling this church, you guys, why, just accept wrong. Wrong happens. It happens all the time. People get, like, how many times have you driven somewhere in your driving past where you were speeding next to somebody and, and you were out in front of that person at the wrong time when the cop hit you. Well, the guy next to me was doing 60 until we saw you and we slammed on our brakes, but I guess he slammed faster. Sorry, you're getting the ticket. I know but him, but sorry, you're getting the ticket. I say that because that's happened to me before. <laughs> I'm sure you guys could imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated rather rather lose 20 bucks 100 bucks 1500 bucks than have god's name smeared it really isn't in the end you will be okay in this life in the end if you're in christ how god has your days he has he knows where your rent's coming from next month he is with you and to close it he says no you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brethren. So to all of us, I'm not saying that every person in this room has cheated somebody at some point in time, but it's likely that we've wronged somebody at some point in time and that that other person has felt that. And so we, we oftentimes, like our sin looks really ugly on other people. We know this, right? Okay. So if your issue is anger, when somebody's being angry um, out of context or you don't understand why, it's uglier because you're like, I struggle with that. So it's, it's sort of like an indictment on you that you're mad about it, and I don't know why it fires you up even more. But in the end, if you have to win, you're going to be bound to that. You're going to be a slave to that winning. And I have, I have felt that at times in my life. During the pandemic, I had a tenant that would not pay rent. 
and I understand the whole you know COVID thing, and I, I get it. She told me she didn't have to pay because of COVID. I'm like, it's not like a Staples like easy button. It's not like COVID. You don't have to pay a bill ever again. You don't get to hit a button called COVID and not pay because Wells Fargo is not letting me play pay that you know play that same little button. So eventually. She told me, you can't evict me, you can't evict me, you can't evict me. So I called a lawyer and I go, hey, is there any way, I'm, I'm dying on the vine here. I'm, I'm have to pay this mortgage, she doesn't pay. And he goes, he goes yeah, we can, we, can, we, can, um, we can just try and see what the judge does. So we went through it. Ultimately, she was evicted. I gave her extra time. She asked for extra time. I gave her extra time. And then I come into my house, it's completely trashed. Yeah. Completely trashed. Yeah. And the guy that's cleaning my house out finds like 5,000 lottery tickets scratched off on the floor next to more cigarette cart empty cartons than he could possibly put in a trash bag. And I'm like, huh, I wonder what that retails for. I wonder what I, in my mind, I'm starting to go, like I'm, I'm getting fired up. Now I'm getting really mad. I'm like, this makes me so mad because it's just not just. And it's like, that's the whole point. Justice is not guaranteed anywhere on this planet with worldly judges. So why in the world would you trust them with a church issue? Why in the world would you trust them with something small? Well, he owes me, on the way out, somebody was driving like Dan Swanson and hit my car, and uh, he said he's not going to pay, so I'm going to sue him. Why would you do this? Where did it happen? At church, right after a, a sermon on not doing this. That's where it happened, Judge. Okay. Um, well, are you sure you want to go through with this? So... It was sad that Paul had so many dishonest in this church. That is very, very sad. It's also sad that there are many dishonest Christians in our culture today. It's really no different, guys. The, the Corinthian culture and this culture, very similar. Um, only, only really missing the, the internet, truthfully. That's not a joke. I mean, it was super similar. Just because a business has a fish on their Yellow Pages ad does not mean that you can trust them. This is a PSA for you guys, trust me. I've tried many times to trust those, and sometimes I get really, 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 really angry with the Christian business yellow pages. But there's much I could say about that type of a world. I can tell you also that there are many businesses that put that on there just because they think Christians are suckers, and they're like, oh, if we put a fish on, we can charge more, and they'll just, they'll just assume we're Christians, got to throw a couple of religious things at them on the way in on the estimate, and you're oh, the Lord is great to us. He's blessed us, and we'll be here next week to demolition your uh, your kitchen will never come back to actually put it back. But we do need a deposit right now. This has happened. This type of stuff has happened to tons of people. Obviously, you want to be prayerful when you do hire people. You want to vet people. You want to do this, the right stuff. But even then, you may get stuck with something. And guess what? It's nothing compared to what heaven's going to be like for you. In this life, these little tiny things, these little nickel and diming, whatnot, I close, I tell you that story, the, the landlord story, because when we got to court, I won, and I won a judgment. My lawyer won his fees, and I won a judgment. And I go, let me guess. That judgment's not worth the paper it's written on. He goes, it is not. It is worthless with a person like this, trust me. He goes, I can chase her down and get you $100 a year for the rest of your life, but you're going to pay me 95 of it. And I go, I'm not bound to that money. I'm done. Release it. Tear it up. I'm not going after it. The very next tenant did the exact same thing to me. So two in a row, not to say feel bad for me because I, I made some mistakes and I didn't vet properly, but I can tell you that in the world 
where you rent property to people, which I have done for a few years of my life, you, you don't assume anything. But you have to say to the Lord, God, if you bless me with, with a rental property, when they pay, that's gravy. When they don't destroy your house, that's gravy. Truthfully, I've been super, super blessed. And yes, I've lost a few times. Had a good relationship with tenants way more of the time, but it does happen. And the easier thing to do is to walk away from five grand, literally, just to be like, I'm not gonna think about that money because then it's in my head. And then I am $5,000 does not deserve that much of my life. It doesn't deserve it. And just like these guys, he's saying, guys, this isn't worth it. Live your life for me. Look to me. I will provide for you. Don't look back. People are going to be people. People are, as my once counselor said, they're doing the best that they can. And it's not as good as you would have them do, obviously. We would have people always treat us 100% all of the time. But that's never going to happen in this life. Be a light, be the Lord, and let the Lord take care of you. Just a couple of concluding thoughts. As Christians, we have never been promised that life is fair. You guys know this. Or that if you do the right thing, everything will work out perfectly. That is nowhere in the scriptures on this side of heaven. That is promised in the kingdom that is forthcoming. It's something we have to remember. Because the Corinthians, like Americans, were fascinated with their rights. That's why lawyers make so much money in this country. Because oftentimes when you talk to people that have been involved in lawsuits, it's the lawyers that win. Yeah. 500 an hour for a year and a half? I'll take it. Well, sign me up. Can I take the bar just right now and be one? Just bypass law school? It sounds like a great hourly. It is the way it is. When you think about divorce and divorce lawyers and all of these things that go back and forth business. I have a buddy that had a business thing. He wasn't wrong. Somebody sued him anyway. He lost so much money. He goes, at the end of the day, I, I'd give anything just to, pay, just to lose the $30,000 and have never hired a lawyer. I go, it's that bad? He goes, it was that bad. Going back and forth with a former friend, with two lawyers, faxing an email back and forth at 500 bucks an hour. He goes, I'd rather just lose the 30 and walk away. I go, that tells me a lot. You'd rather lose 30 grand than this potential 100, 100 and change. Brutal. Life's not fair. Business isn't fair. A lot of things aren't fair. In the day that this letter was written, the Corinthian people, like I told you, they were obsessed with a lot of the same things that you and I are obsessed with. Pleasure, comfort, rights. Many Americans today can relate with this as they also can relate with how they feel about their government. The government doesn't poll well. I don't know if you guys know that. When, when, when the polls come out about how is the overall government functioning, it's pretty low. But the problem is when we hold on to our rights above God's glory. The problem is if I want my $100 or my $1,000 or my five grand so bad that I'm going to smear another Christian in a court of law downtown where the crowd around waiting for the next, for the next case can hear this mess. When I could have just said, so be it, brother. So be it, sister. I don't like the way this turned out, but I love you in Christ. It's money. It, it, it's it's, it's going to be gone soon. It's going to burn soon. It, it really is It's deteriorating faster than morality, literally. The problem, like I said, is when we hold on to that above wanting to win people, 
about wanting people to come in genuinely and earnestly into our fellowship to know the true freedom that is, though, that is available through Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your words. And uh, Lord, sometimes they're harsh and sometimes they, they, um, they kind of indict us. Um, they indict uh, our hearts a lot of the time. Um, maybe not necessarily our minds, but how we actually would behave if we were in those same situations. God, I do pray that we would see your glory as something to go all in for, something to try as hard as we possibly can with your power to live for. And that we wouldn't worry about the little things and the lost $20 here or whatever, the little stuff. God, for those that are struggling uh, with all sorts of things, from finances to health to um, just relationships, I pray, Lord, that you would touch their hearts. I pray that you would show them who you really are, not who fake people have shown you out to be. But I pray that you would show them who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen.